Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 25. Listen now to God's word. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But when he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be seated and let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your presence here today. We, we count on finding you here as we gather in the name of Jesus week by week. And we also uh, count on your Holy Spirit to teach us uh, to come and convince us of the truth and even convict us of our sin. We pray for his empowerment to be with us today, that whatever you say to us, whatever response you ask of us, that we'll be able to do it with his strength and with his power working in and through us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are in us, the hope of glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So you don't have to raise your hands on these questions, but I just wonder how many of you consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus? You're devoted to him. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple. And how many of you would consider yourself to be an apostle? Now that one causes some pause, doesn't it? Because we're not sure we understand what is meant by apostle. This passage that Jacob just read for us out of John chapter 20 is not the first time that, that Jesus has given his disciples sending orders. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Sending was part of their basic training. We see it throughout the Gospels. In Mark chapter 6 and Matthew 10, Jesus sent the twelve out in pairs. In pairs, together, two by two. In Luke 9, he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And now he tells them that they have the authority, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them to do healings and to set people free from oppression and from evil. In Luke 10, one chapter later, Jesus appoints 70 other disciples in addition to the twelve, and he sends them out in pairs. And he says to them, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Meaning that the mission is not going to be easy. 
And then in John 17, Jesus in the upper room, only hours before his betrayal and his crucifixion, he, he prays to the Father for his disciples. And not just the twelve, but also for those who would believe in their witness, meaning all of us that have come after them in the centuries of Christian faith. And, and he says this, Father, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Now, it's notable that in, in the scriptures, in the New Testament, there is this shift in the gospels from calling the twelve disciples to calling them apostles in the book of Acts. In fact, the book of Acts is often called the Acts of the Apostles. A shift from being learners, that's the basic kind of fundamental meaning of disciple, of being followers, being apprentices, to becoming those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and, and are sent out. And that's the meaning of apostles. Um, the, the Greek word literally means sent out one. Someone that's been given a message to convey to others. That is an apostle. And, and these apostles had a clear mission that Jesus spent three years uh, teaching them as disciples and then empowered them at Pentecost to take this mission uh, to Jerusalem and Judea, uh, beyond that in the region of Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. The voice of the Lord said to Isaiah, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Isaiah says, Here I am, Lord, send me. In a sense, Isaiah was not just a prophet, he was an apostle. And, and an apostle rightly is thought of first and foremost as the 12 apostles, right? We think of, of the 12 um, from the Gospels, excluding Judas who abandoned the Lord and, and Matthias who was, was elected, chosen to fill that, that place in the 12, the 12 apostles. But we also read in the, in the New Testament, Paul tells us that there is a gift of apostolic office. There are apostles given to the church beyond those original 12. In that gift, I believe, we believe as United Methodists that the apostolic gift continues to be given by the Holy Spirit in the church today. Now, some have equated that with the missionary gift because apostles are sent out. So in some circles, you hear missionaries called apostles who, as Scott pointed out to the kids, are sent to other places, cross-cultural, international ministry. But there is a sense when, in which all of us are apostles. Now, we may not respond to the calling in the same way Isaiah did. We may not say yes to God, but we are sent out. We are sent out into this world week by week. In fact, we have something in our service called sending forth. It's not a benediction, it's a sending forth. We have gathered here in Jesus' name week after week to worship, for fellowship, for study. And, and as we are fed and discipled, as we grow up into the fullness of Christ, we are sent out week by week. 
and the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our homes, our workplaces, the schools in which we may attend or teach, in our businesses, our factories, uh, beyond that in ministry as we are doing as a team of persons going to Guatemala on Saturday morning for seven days of servant ministry. To say yes to a call, to to raise your hand and say, yes, here I am, Lord, I will go, is is very much akin to what many have done in this country as, as men and women who have enlisted in one of the branches of our armed forces. And this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, we remember those who said yes to the call to fight for freedom and gave their lives, gave the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. There'll be many flags placed at the graves of fallen heroes. There'll be people that will take flowers. Families will gather and pray at the graveside of loved ones that may have died in just years past or maybe decades or generations ago. And it is a very sacred and holy day for many, as well as a holiday in which we cook out and go to the lake and have some fun together. Memorial Day. Uh, This saying, yes, can be very costly. You may be acquainted with this story of the Sullivan Boys back in World War II. On January 3rd, 1942, five sons, the five sons of Tom and Alita um, of, of Waterloo, Iowa, the Sullivan Boys, they all enlisted in the U.S. Navy during World War II. Five brothers, two, I think, re-enlisted, but the five of them requested to be assigned to the same ship. And some months later, in November of that same year, a torpedo sank the vessel upon which they were serving our country in a time of war, and all five sons of Tom and Alita perished. Their only sons died in the same tragic attack. When an officer from the Navy contacted the family, he said, I have some news about your boys. And Tom said, which one? And the officer said, all of them. All five have perished. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine the grief, the weight of such loss upon this one family? The sacrifice that this one family made on that fateful day in 1942. Uh, Some of the rules uh, of, of deployment when there are multiple family members that are in the armed services in a time of war, those rules have been changed as a result of the Sullivan losses and another family that lost four sons. We give thanks for the courage and the bravery and the willingness of, of, of these young men to say, here am I, send me. There's another young man out of our Methodist history who made a very bold decision, who said yes to a call. 
His name is Francis Asbury, Asbury University, Asbury Seminary, from which Jeremy and I both graduated, is named after Francis Asbury. He lived 250 years ago. And in 1771, at age 26, we have any 26-year-olds in here? At age 26, Francis Asbury was at his first Methodist conference meeting in Bristol, England, where he and his family lived. I've stood in the very chapel that, that Wesley was preaching in and, and Francis was seated in when John Wesley asked this question, our brethren in America call aloud for help who are willing to help them. And Francis stood up and said, here I am, send me. Now, he was beloved by his parents, especially his mother. But when he said yes to God through this call that came through John Wesley, he said goodbye to his parents for a final time. He never saw his mother's face again, not once. Didn't get to send her a telegram. There wasn't such at that time. There was no, no cell phones, no FaceTime. No, when he left for America, that was it. He said goodbye once and for all. And for 45 years, this young man grew old, riding 250,000 miles on horseback, preaching the gospel in the American colonies, which soon would become an independent nation. And some of us are essentially his spiritual offspring because he spent a lot of time in Kentucky preaching that good news. Francis Asbury said yes to God, and he continued to serve God until he was 70 years of age. He had a sweetheart he left behind, but yet he never married. With single-minded purpose and devotion, he preached Jesus and his grace to all who would listen, and equipped and prepared many others to become disciples and also preachers that spread the gospel throughout the United States. Following the example of Jesus and also of, of John Wesley, clergy in the United Methodist Church to this very day are sent by their bishops and their local churches to serve uh, by their, their annual conference to serve their local churches. Jeremy and I both are sent every year by the conference to serve Georgetown First United Methodist Church. We don't get hired by the church. We don't have a pulpit committee that goes searching for a pastor. We are sent. We believe by God and by the bishop, by those in authority over us. But, but just as Jeremy and I will be sent in a little over two weeks to serve an additional year here in this church, we are all sent back into our, our communities, our neighborhoods, uh, our homes and our workplaces to put into practice what we've experienced week by week in this church, how we have encountered the, the love of God and the glory of Christ with anyone and everyone that will listen. You know, for many in our world, our country is a symbol of hope. There are millions and millions of people in this world that would give 
anything and everything to come and to live in the United States of America. There have been thousands upon thousands of, of persons that have come from Central America and beyond uh, across our southern border illegally trying to start a new life, to have a new beginning in the United States. Uh, the poverty, the deprivation, the violence, and even war that many of them face back home is, is just so overwhelming to them. And so take at great peril to, their, to themselves and to their families, to their children and grandchildren, giving up homeland and, and, and even property, uh, if they owned it, what, whatever they had in that, that place that they've left, they've been willing to give up in order to have a chance to come here. And of course, it's become a deeply divisive political issue in our country. Even as our government uh, attempts to build a wall to keep people out, and even as we send thousands of people back home who come here illegally, it occurred to me here here in this church this morning that what we are doing is that we are sending some of our very own to a place that people are trying to escape. To a place where there is a need for hope. Where, where there is a need for shelter. For a place to live and for some security and, and some care for uh, the thousands upon thousands of orphans who otherwise would be homeless and without food or shelter. And we do this because we offer a different kind of hope. It's a hope that, that is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. A hope that comes from an experience of his life-saving, soul-saving, delivering grace. And this is the mission of the church. We are a sending organization. We don't just invite people to come here, right? We go out and, and find them. We are sent out by the Lord to find them and to love them where they are without any uh, questions about who they are, but to embrace them in Jesus' name and bring them into his church as we see him advance his kingdom. So my question for you this morning is, what has Jesus sent you to do? You know, one of the criticisms of the church today is that we're, we have a lot of attitude, but we don't always follow through with action. We talk about being a place of grace and a kingdom of love, and, and we pronounce judgment on those who are outside of it. But often we fail to love fully in His name. And to open as many doors as possible to this church and to this kingdom that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for. So my question for you again is, have you said yes to Jesus? Um, have you said yes to servant ministry? We've been talking for weeks now about what it means to be a servant. And one vital, critical aspect of being a servant is being sent to serve. Not just serving inside these walls of this place, as wonderful as it is, but to go, go forth and serve others in his name. But there are things that hold us back from doing that, aren't there? I mean, here in John 20, 
clearly two things were standing in the way of, of Jesus' disciples responding to those three years of discipleship and the mission and the ministry that he had given him. And that is their fear and doubt. Jesus appears among the disciples on the first day of, uh, of the week, the day the church still gathers in his name, the day that remembers the resurrection until Jesus returns. And twice Jesus says to these, these angst-filled uh, fearful disciples locked behind these closed doors. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Oh Lord, how, how many of us need to hear a word of peace? How many of us need to hear Jesus speak into our lives, peace be with you? And then Jesus says this, in the midst of their hand-wringing and their fear and their anxiety and their excuse-making, Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Many scholars believe that, that this is John's version of what we read in Matthew 20, uh, 28 and Luke 24 that is called the Great Commission, where Jesus promises a sending forth and an enabling power, sending people out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the, to the world, as we read in the book of Acts, uh, Matthew 28, making disciples of the whole world. And then in, in Luke chapter 24, 24 this promise of, of uh, being his witnesses who would soon be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then after speaking, uh, speaking again into their lives, descending forth, Jesus breathes on them. Now, you probably wouldn't like it if I breathed on you, would you? <laughs> you came to see me for a counseling session and I got in your face and breathed on you and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, the word for spirit in the Hebrew speaks of wind, ruach, wind of the Spirit, the breath of God. He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This isn't the fullness of the Spirit just yet, that will come in the upper room. But, but some say it's probably a foretaste. It's, it's a symbolic gesture on Jesus' part in which they had hope in the midst of their despair that He was going to give them what they needed to fulfill the calling that He had given them, the sending forth that He had placed upon their lives. Several Several uh, months ago, a member of our church lost his wife, uh, excuse me, his mother quite suddenly. And um, he uh, returned to the Midwest to grieve with his family for a week. It was a very difficult time for him and for his wife and for his children. Uh, she had died without warning and it was just very, very tragic in their minds. And uh, he never imagined when he went back to the Midwest that he would somehow be God's instrument, that he was being sent forth by the Holy Spirit to be in ministry to his family. I mean, this is a guy who's fairly, um, fairly immature in his faith. He has just been growing of late in the past couple of years. And a lot of that came out of a crisis in his life. And here he finds himself 
in a situation that I want to read to you about from, from the text that we exchanged. I've been communicating with him throughout the week, and the day of the funeral, later in the day, I said, well, how did it go? And this is what he said. He said, what a day. Nothing can prepare you for burying your mother as you very well know. The weather was atrocious all night and most of the morning. He said, due to the flooding, we had to cancel the processional and actual burial at the cemetery. But the service was perfect. There were about 500 people that came through the visitation last night and 150 people came to the funeral today. Made me feel good knowing how many people people's lives my mom had touched over the years. And then he says this. He said, last night's pre-visitation, God was there and at work. My dad saw my, my mom for the first time and spent some time with her. And then he asked all of us in the immediate family to gather around him and he asked someone to say a prayer. Never before in my life would I have felt comfortable volunteering. But God urged me to do it. I said prayer, but the Lord helped me speak and put the words in my mouth because I had no earthly idea what I said. My sisters looked at me wide-eyed and later asked, where did that come from? And, and that it was beautiful. So I knew mom was with God and he was with us at that time. What this young man experienced in that moment with his family was the empowerment of God's Spirit to fill in all the gaps and to overcome the weakness and the frailty, the inadequacy, and used him in a very powerful way to minister to his very own family at a time of great need. We are sent to say and show that Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners. Uh, we don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus. He is the good news. We are not the message. Jesus is the message. We are the messengers and we are his ambassadors. Now I'm going to close by telling you a quick story. Uh, I think, and this came to mind early this morning, I think, I think the job that I hated the most in all the years that I've been working was one that my dad gave me when I was a young man in my early 20s. He was in the radio business, owned a radio station. When I was a teenager, I was a DJ. That's how Connie got to know me and met me. Uh, later on, I became the secretary at the station. And, and then dad offered me a job as a salesman. I sold radio advertising and I hated it. I despised it. My dad was a very gifted salesman. In fact, that, that is one of the reasons why he was so successful in business for many, many decades. Uh, he was just a gifted salesman, but, but I was terrible at it. Um, I wasn't completely sure I believed in the product I was selling, which is not good when you're a salesman. Um, but I also didn't like asking people to buy things from me. But what really, really made it bad was when he gave me collections. 
when I had to take bills, unpaid bills from, from customers that had bought advertising previously and try to collect on those bills. I really hated that. It was an awful thing to go in and tell somebody, you owe the radio station a debt, pay up. And then about three years later, the Holy Spirit called me into ministry. My Heavenly Father gave me a different kind of sales job. And I love it. And I believe in the product. And I don't go to somebody and try to collect on a debt. I go and tell them the debt has been paid. Amen? And it's the most joyful, fulfilling job anyone could possibly have. And even in my weakness and inadequacy and frailties, God always fills in the gaps. He continues to do so. And he can do so for you. So I'm just going to ask you again, how have you been called? What is the Father trying to send you out to do in Jesus' name? We have a team of 12 persons that are being sent out to Guatemala. We're going to pray for them in just a moment. One of them uh, lives in Texas, Bob Sylvester. He is a longtime friend of Jerry McAllister. Met Bob last fall when, when I was a part of a, of a small team, three people from this church, Jerry Rich and I and Bob and some others from Georgetown went uh, to Guatemala. We built a home. We did some ministry in a nurse in a in a uh, orphanage there and cared for some other people along the way. But um, anyway, Bob is from Texas. He is going to join us uh, in Guatemala. Julie Astra, who is a, still a member of our church but moved to Ohio last year for a new job, she is going to meet up with us in Dallas-Fort Worth and is going to fly down to Guatemala with us on Saturday. But the other ten are all a part of this church, uh, including me. And I want you to pray for us um, all this week and all of next week. We get back on June the 8th, which is a Saturday we leave on June the 1st, this coming Saturday. We would welcome you to come and pray for us around 11.15 Saturday morning before we, we climb in a van and make our way to Bluegrass Airport. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of really amazing things. Why don't you skip over to those slides there, Danny, and, and let me just show some people uh, what it's going to look like, and then we'll sing our song. Uh, this is one of 37 volcanoes in Guatemala. There's no place on earth I don't think it's got as many as Guatemala, given its size. Uh, three are active. Uh, this is part of the countryside. This was the site, actually, where we built our house last November. This is the house the family was living in until we built them a new one. It was made out of corn stalks, had a tin roof, a family of five lived in this one-room house. That was their bathroom, by the way, their outdoor toilet there behind that red curtain. They had no shower, no bathtub, or anything like that. Here's the family standing on the concrete pad upon which we'll build the house for them. And then um, here's my buddy, uh, Gregorio. I didn't know that we had the same name until after I'd shared my lunch with him. Here's Rich and... Bob Sylvester to the left and myself as we're cutting boards for the, for the framework of the house. Um, here's Jerry nailing some nails. He's an old pro. 
Uh, he's done this many times before in Guatemala over the years with uh, the organization that we're working with. Here you see some progress. Their plot of land is, is fenced in with these corn stalks that have been wired together. And then here's the walls going up on this three-room house. No electricity, no plumbing, uh, but it is secure, and they do have a roof over their head. And uh, then here's the house as it's, as it's nearly finished, and you see the kids out playing uh, in the dirt yard. And, um, and then here's the, the bedroom the boys would share, getting a decent bed, bunk beds for the first time in their lives. Um, here's the place where they can have their meals. Again, a first for this family to have a table and chairs where they can gather for their daily meals. And the mom with a new wood stove that she can cook the food on. And, uh, and then here's the team that built the house uh, uh, sitting on the front porch. This will be an amazing week. We'll also visit Mimi's house, one of two locations of orphanages that uh, CRI operates. Uh, this is a great ministry and uh, look forward to spending some time there. There's a couple of the sweet children that uh, live at the orphanage. And then this next picture is a couple of the counselors that care for them. Uh, during the day at the orphanage. Um, these are 12 persons. If you all would come and stand here at the front, uh, we're going to sing together our closing song. And as they are coming to stand, I'm going to invite any of you that are family members or friends that want to support them and encourage them this morning and this coming week to come alongside them or behind them and lay a hand on them so that when Harold uh, prays, we can bless them and pray for them to be anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So come and, and stand behind some of these folks. I'm going to come down and join them.